You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Good morning and welcome to Preaching Source. I'm your host today, Matthew McKellar, Associate Professor of Preaching in the School of Preaching here at Southwestern, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Alistair Begg, pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio, also the Bible teacher for the Truth for Life uh, radio ministry that is heard uh, in the United States and around the world. Dr. Begg, we welcome you to Southwestern. Thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. All right. Well, we want to talk about preaching this morning, just some general questions, but I know our listeners uh, will be greatly interested in the perspectives that you have. So let's begin with uh, just an opening question. Uh, What would you describe uh, over the years of your ministry uh, with regard to preaching? Talk about what you would say is the greatest joy about preaching. Well, you know, I... First of all, I was a listener to preaching, obviously, like everybody else, and uh, I had the distinct privilege of sitting under Bible teaching, both as a boy and then into into adulthood. And I marveled at the way in which uh, somebody could just take the text of Scripture and unfold it, not fiddle with it, but just uh, uh, un- unfold it. And and I, I never ever thought that I would end up doing that. But when I began to do it, I realized the joy that is in it. And that is, first of all, the joy of uh, studying the Bible, of the Bible um, uncovering me. Uh, sh- you know, I used to sing a song at Scotland, uh, make the book live to me, O Lord. Show me yourself within your word. Show me myself. Show me my Savior. And, and I think that's the great joy that that actually happens, that... Uh, I think sometimes our congregations think that uh, that you know we just are dispersive, dispersers of information. When in actual fact, you know, first we're preaching it to ourselves or having it preached to ourselves. And the joy of being able to do that and spend one's life doing that is is a peculiar privilege. I mean, it's a daunting privilege, but it's it's it, it's wonderful as well. Yes. Well, speaking of that daunting privilege, let's turn the question around. What would what would you say about the burden of preaching? Well. You know, one of one of the things is I always joke with my friends. I say, you know, every Monday morning I start with another section of the Bible, a clean sheet of paper, and uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what happened yesterday. We're we're back, we're back at it all over again. It's relentless. Um, we're doing that within the context of our own walk with God, with our own awareness of our weakness, with our own awareness of the sinful sinful propensities of our hearts to pride and everything else. And um, and then the sense of burden that we feel for those that have been entrusted to our care, and I I, I think that you know that that uh, biblical phrase you know they they keep watch over you as men who must give an account out, out of Hebrews, I I find that as a, as a necessary burden, and uh, I guess that would be what I would say. Well, in connection with that, talk talk a little bit about um, counsel you might offer to men just starting out in their preaching ministries. Uh, what are some of the particular challenges that that preachers face early in their ministries? And then finish up by talking about maybe challenges that you face when you, let's say, become a grizzled veteran. Yeah. <laughs> Careful with those adjectives. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, 
Well, you know, I think I think when we think in terms of of the the, the desire of the evil one to silence the silence the voice of God uh, through the scriptures and in the preaching of the scriptures, I suppose the 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 work of the evil one probably has two main themes. One is to tell us we're absolutely useless and nobody wants to listen to us, or that we're absolutely terrific and everyone can't wait to hear from us. And both of those things are lies, and uh, they're real snares. So sometimes a young man gets off on the wrong foot. Perhaps he was uh, quite good in his homiletics class, and he uh, has been received some uh, encouragements along the way. And he may be tempted to start to rely on that. And uh, so that's a real danger because you'll get dismantled pretty quickly because uh, uh, that would be important for, for service. On the other hand, somebody uh, with a sense of diffidence uh, uh, may feel that uh, they have to keep apologizing for everything. I, everybody here knows much more than I know. I'm sure you understand this. And it becomes really, really tedious. I, I think underlying it all is a sort of Isaiah 66, 2 experience. You know, this is the one to whom I will look, says the Lord. He was humble, contrite in spirit, trembles at my word. And I, and I think if that is laid down as the foundation, then uh, we can go on from there. Well, I know that, uh, that you bear a distinct influence of, 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 of uh, the Puritans, uh, and that, uh, to a significant extent, has shaped your devotional life. Talk to us for a moment about the importance of daily scripture intake and uh, consistent prayer life, uh, its significance. We know it's significant for for one who is to preach, but just uh, touch on that for a bit. Yeah, sure. You know, every so often, I mean, one time I had a sabbatical and I was riding my bike. It was early on a Sunday morning. I was in Florida and I just just riding around, not not like these, uh, you know, sort of maniacal bike riders. I'm just talking about riding a bike. And uh, it was a beautiful morning, and the thought occurred to me, you know, maybe, maybe I could skip church this morning. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to go. I don't have to preach. And uh, it didn't happen, but as I rode further along, it occurred to me, he said, maybe the only reason that God put me in pastoral ministry was because he knew that was the only way I would keep going to church. In other words, it's all, it's, it's all about his work of grace in my own life. And, and the, the, the peculiar... Uh, um, thought that the the greatest need in, in in a pastor that the congregation has is not one's giftedness but one's godliness, and therefore the whole notion of our own walk with God, the intake of the scriptures, is is of crucial importance. I mean, it is far easier for us to spend fifty five minutes teasing over some verse than it is to spend five minutes in personal prayer. And, you know, I think it was uh, a member of Charles Simeon's congregation in Cambridge years ago who wrote to him and said, you know, watch for yourself, Charles, because as it goes with the pastor, so it goes with the congregation. And, and so uh, how I do it, I, I actually use the Murray McShane thing at the moment. I'm reading through the Bible with, uh, with McShane, who died at 29. I mean, what an amazing thought that this young Presbyterian minister from Dundee is still influencing the lives of many. Um, I read Spurgeon in his morning and evening. Um, I sometimes read the devotional Psalms as a, as a separate thing. And whatever, just to keep one's heart and mind open to the Scriptures and, and reading them in such a way that we're asking God to 
you know, bring things home to us. There were a number of things in the passages this morning that I read that just seemed so apropos my own present circumstances. And, of course, one would expect that because we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and uh, who knows. Well, I know our listeners would be interested in hearing. Uh, if you could recommend a couple of books on preaching that uh, preachers ought to read, uh, what one or two books would be at the top of the list? Well, you know, that we, we were thinking about that earlier on, some of us. And, and I think, I think um, Spurgeon's lectures to his students, has to, I think, has to be there because of the comprehensive uh, nature of it. And perhaps um, the, the more modern book, but uh, it's quite a long time ago now, that would be Lloyd-Jones's Preaching and Preachers. And then maybe uh, we would add into that uh, Preaching Between Two Worlds by, by John Stott. In terms of in terms of important biographies of, of great uh, Christian servants and leaders, uh, who's on that list for you? Well, in pastoral ministry, Lloyd Jones would be Ian Murray's book on on Lloyd Jones, um, and Spurgeon as well. Actually, um, Murray's work on Spurgeon and also Dalimore's work on Spurgeon. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to estimate the impact of this uh, Victorian preacher who died, you know, in his mid-50s. It's, it's incredible to think about it. And uh, um, along with that, you know, missionary biographies. Uh, missionary biographies have gone into sort of disrepute almost. I mean, the, you don't really hear much about it. Uh, but uh, Helen Rosevear, who was a, a British Cambridge graduate and a, and a missionary to uh, what was then the Belgian Congo, her book, Give Me This Mountain, um, if I had longer, I would think of others. Well, uh, before we move on from that, uh, I know you're a voracious reader, and preachers ought to be voracious readers. We stress that in our classes here at the seminary. Um, talk to me for a moment uh, about uh, uh, fiction, reading fiction. If there were a couple of fiction uh, works in that category that you would recommend to preachers, uh, uh, what would those be? Well, <clears throat> I like... Um I must confess, I like um, uh, detective stories. I like I like murder mysteries. And uh, P.D. James, who um, uh, died, I think, last year as an elderly lady, um, I wouldn't say comprehensively everything would be worthy of attention. But by and large, her material is really very, very good. You know, it's a good, it's a, it's a ripping yarn, as they say. And I enjoy the, the freedom of being able to do that for just, for just relaxation's sake. Um, I've begun uh, in the last year and a half or so to read uh, work by a fellow called Robert Harris, who uh, combines, uh, a bit like McCulloch, he combines uh, the actual historical reality of what's going on with uh, some fictional interludes, as it were. I just, I just finished a book called Munich by him, which is the story of the Munich Agreement, the background to the Munich Agreement that led up to Chamberlain coming back and, and waving the piece of paper and saying, peace in our time. Meanwhile, Hitler was getting ready to, to invade. Um, and, and, and stuff like that, very good. Robert Harris, P.D. James. Uh, I know uh, that in listening to your preaching, I, along with others, note the capacity the Lord has given you uh, to take deep biblical truth and to plug it into where people live. Um, 
and to really where they're hurting. Uh, one instance that I'm aware of is that recently you referenced a book uh, uh, called Lament for a Son that uh, uh, a man wrote uh, lamenting the passing of a son at age 25 in a mountain climbing accident. Uh, talk for a moment about the pastoral side, about how there there's a need to, uh, for lack of a better term, to connect with our people where they hurt. Well, you know... I, you know, I say to myself, people are my books. You know, they, they, this is, these are the, the living books, you know. And so listening to, listening to people, observing people, identifying with people. And, and I, you know, my, my privilege in life is, is pastoral ministry. I am a pastor. And, you know, we're supposed to give ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. We're supposed to shepherd the flock of God that's in our charge. If we start to get divorced from those elements, particularly our engagement with our folks, then we, then we jeopardize a significant part of, of our ministry. And although Nicholas Walterstoff's book is a wonderful book, as you know, Matthew, it, it has no gospel in it. It is a lament. And the reason that I recommended it is because sometimes in our, in our rush to tell people, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, we sorrow not as those who have no hope, as some of us are doing a pretty poor job of lament, uh, that we have not really read the Psalms properly. We haven't really figured out that a significant part of that poetry uh, was on the downside of things. Um, and so I, I learned from, from people, and you know, you know this, we, we sit with people at the extremities of their lives, their joys, their sorrows, and we, we um, enter, if, unless we become calloused, which uh, God forbid it would happen, but we, we enter into the, the, their uh, joys and sorrows with them. Well, let's close out with a couple of uh, questions. Talk to us briefly about your sermon preparation process, and what I want to get at specifically here is I know you have a, a certain uh, mantra, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Sing yourself empty. That's it. Yeah. And I, if, if you if you would just run through that for our listeners and and help us get a feel for that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I do have it, and and uh, so. When we, we start, we open our Bible like I have to do Ephesians 6, the opening verses for this coming Sunday. So I would read that, and if I have the facility and feel the inclination, I might look at it in the Greek text. I don't do Hebrew. I, I, I bummed out of that a long time ago. But uh, I look at it there, read it uh, in, in a different uh, one or two translations just to set the scene, and then just sit and think. I mean, pray, obviously, but to think. And I write down on, on a sheet of paper anything that comes to mind. It doesn't matter to me whether it seems to be uh, germane to the subject or not. And so I try and think myself empty about how I might approach it. Sometimes I would get something of a smattering of an outline. Sometimes there would be nothing there at all. But just that sort of just reflection and, and in anticipation. Uh, from there, I go to read yourself full. Uh, you, we only have so much time, therefore we've got to be selective in what we read. That read yourself full also has as the backdrop what we've just been saying, that if your life is, is full of reading, then there will be things that you have been reading, whatever it is, that will also filter into that. Um, then write yourself clear. And the, the writing part of this, uh, I maintain to this day, despite the fact that over time, um, your facility with things is such that you could probably do okay without that piece, 
but I do it as a discipline for myself and for my people. And so I write myself clear, pray myself hot, um, and then uh, preach, uh, you know, be yourself and forget yourself. And those, all of those elements are uh, interwoven. Yes, I think that's uh, outstanding counsel. Final question. As you, um, as you near the finish line in this earthly pilgrimage, what aspects of preaching have become more urgent to you? What, what burden do you feel that maybe you didn't feel 10 years, 20 years ago? Well, I think it's, I, you know, I think probably Second Timothy has been my book, you know, throughout all of my life. Uh, somebody gave me 2 Timothy 2.15 when I was a 15-year-old boy, you know, study to show yourself approved unto God. And so I, I think I feel, I think I feel the burden of being a Timothy while at the same time realizing, well, in some measure, you've become a Paul to some people. It's hard for, it's hard for me to think of myself, I don't mean in terms of, uh, of uh, godliness of influence. I just mean the transition of time and age. I still walk into places and assume that I'm one of the youngest people there. When in point of fact, I mean, I think last night when I was sitting up there, I was, I was older by at least five or six years of anybody else that was beside me. Um, so, uh, so on the Timothy side of it, continue in what you have become convinced of, uh, knowing those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. So the burden of making sure that we run right through the tape. And then at the same time, um, Timothy, you've got to get this into the hearts, minds, and lives of those over whom you have influence. And I think that sense of passing the baton into the hands of another generation and making sure that these young men are in a world that is increasingly confused about the authority, the inerrancy, and the sufficiency of Scripture are actually laying hold of these you know, great and precious promises and out of that conviction that they are going to go on and in generations yet to come, you know, hold the line in relationship to the gospel. Uh, and of course, the insistent longing and urgency to, to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, win as many as possible, you know, that, that we lo- I just long to see more and more people becoming uh, followers of Jesus. I mean, we long for, a, for an outpouring of God's Spirit, and we, and we preach to that end. Those are wise and helpful words. Dr. Begg, thank you so much for your time today, and I know uh, what you've said will be a blessing to our listeners, and we appreciate and thank the Lord for your ministry, uh, not only in the United States but around the world. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Matthew. My privilege.